Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You can call me Jay Bay. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. And this is a podcast for reps and sales teams who love building good relationships with their prospects when they're out there doing outbound and sending emails and making calls, but you know, hate feeling salesy. Hate it when they don't have anything better to say than what their product is or what it does. And if you're wondering a little bit more about what you can say to really compel people to respond to your emails and you know, be receptive to talking to you over the phone, you're in the right place. Let's get to the episode today. So one of the things that, depending on what kind of companies that you've worked at, I've always kind of worked in, not necessarily startups, but companies that are startup-ish, especially like with the internal culture where there isn't really like a lot of red tape. There isn't really like a big established process. And I've always had to kind of come in and, and create those processes from scratch. And there isn't really like a playbook usually <laughs> to do that. It's something you just kind of figure out. And when I became marketing director of that company I used to work for, College Works Painting. So this was in like 2011 to 2013. I'd gone from a sales management role into a marketing director role. And primarily what we worked on at first was like stuff I didn't know anything about. SEO, you know, creating organic content, you know, blogging, learning how pay-per-click advertising and Facebook and social media, all this stuff worked. And what I remember at that time, because there weren't really a lot of good note-taking tools, is I'd print out literally three, four-inch thick binders where I'd print out the blog posts. I didn't even know what a landing page was. I had to look up like what the category of stuff is called. <laughs> you know, I didn't know about inbound versus outbound. And the reason why I bring that up is part of what I did there was help them established like an outbound call center. So this call center, we ended up you know, having around 15 to 20 reps in peak season. I hired a call center manager. And what they were doing was calling through people that had signed up for house painting estimates across the country. So about hundreds of thousands of people. We'd call through that database and set up appointments. We'd do some cold calling, et cetera. And I never really was taught how to even go about doing that. You know, we just kind of figured it out as we went. We know that we needed some sort of scripts and things to say. We needed to know we needed some software. We know we needed some data. <laughs> you know, uh, we didn't have a playbook for anything. And again, the reason why I share that is this is it's very similar to our guest today, Ned, who's the head of sales at a company called Canny. It's something he's had to do like three or four times prior to his position at Canny, where he's come in and he's really created the like sales department from scratch. So we had like a really interesting conversation I think you'll enjoy around like what it's like to kind of create something from scratch. And specifically what we're going to focus on today is creating an outbound process from scratch, which is incredibly tough. And he's going to walk through sort of like three different kind of big topics. One, how he went about understanding their customer because he's a sales guy, right? And now at Canny, they sell to people in product. So this wasn't something that he was familiar with or had worked with those types of people. And he walks through his process and what he did the first couple months to really understand and empathize better with them around the problems that they have that Canny helps them with. So you're going to get some really good stuff there. The second thing he's going to talk about is kind of like a way that you can organize the messaging, you know, with like, you can attach the feature of your product to the pain point or problem that it's helping with. And then the benefit of that, and then attach it to like the persona. So he's going to talk about how you can like align your messaging specifically to personas based on the problem they have and also tie in like the feature of your product and the benefit of it. And then what he's going to do that's pretty cool is he's going to run us through his, his uh, sequencing. 
So we get really in-depth with what his sequencing and contact strategy looks like. So this one's going to be full of uh, a ton of goodies. You're definitely going to like it. Before we get to the interview today, I have one quick favor. We're really focused on growing the podcast audience right now. And if you enjoy listening to this podcast, I would love if you shared it with one person. If there's one person you know that would benefit from you know, learning how to prospect in a smarter way that's a little more quality-oriented versus quantity-oriented, you know, oriented, I'd love it if you shared it with them. So it could be a coworker, maybe it's your manager, whoever it might be, would love it if you shared it. And without any further ado, let's get to the interview. So one thing uh, when we connected, I felt like that we had in common is we both kind of have this like kind of scrappy, like startup, you know, mentality about stuff. And what I've noticed is there's a lot of people in sales that actually haven't worked in that kind of environment. They kind of come into a company where things are already kind of set in stone. They already have the messaging in place. They already kind of have product market fit, like all that good stuff. So how did you get into sales, dude? I'm pretty curious, like, could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, kind of the startup experience and like where this kind of scrappy, you know, approach came from? Yeah, for sure. I got into sales on accident. Like every salesperson, basically. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think any salesperson was like, oh, I went to college for sales. No, I actually, I have a master's degree in exercise science and thought for sure I was going to be a strength and conditioning coach until I did my third strength and conditioning internship and came across two guys that were 25 and 27. Still actually close with both of them. One's actually the head of strength and conditioning for UFC right now, Matt Crawley. He's a stud. But at the time, Matt, I think he's 25, and he had been with the Buffalo Bills. He'd been with Alabama. He'd been with UF. Like he'd been with all of these schools. And here he was still an intern. And I'm sitting there going, he's working 20 hour days. He's not making a ton of money. He's living in dorms. And like now, obviously, he's a stud, but it's like, I was like, I don't want to be 25 working 20 hour days you know, living in dorms anymore. I don't think my, you know, my fiance at the time wouldn't have been pumped about that. Right. And so for me, I was like, all right, I got to kind of pivot, got to figure some things out. And lucky for me, I had some connections in the healthcare industry and I ended up working for a company that sold doc, bought and sold doctor's offices to investors. So I started my career knocking on doors, selling, you know, going into doctor's offices and being like, hey, do you want to sell your doctor's office? And then being like, not a chance, right? Like, but what, was, what came out of it was relationships with investors. And I found myself in a very good relationship with an individual. We're no longer in a great relationship with one another, but that's a long story. But he brought me out to Silicon Valley startup land and got started out there and built out the first sales motion for a small startup out there. We ended up getting acquired. And when we got acquired, he bought a company in Tampa and was like, hey, come work for that company and did the exact same thing again. And so, yeah, it's just been, you know, one startup after the next starting sales motions and starting from scratch with, with, with nothing but a computer and a, and a dream. So, yeah. Is there anything else in like your personal life where this like creating stuff from scratch is, do you express that in any other way? And like in your personal life, like where did that come from? Probably two years ago, I would have said no. But as I've like gotten more self-aware in my career and in everything that I've done, for five years in high school, I did not have a normal high school career. For five years, I was the lead vocalist of a touring Well, you were in high school for five years. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> that's so. not weird. No, so it was one year out of high school. Uh, oh, okay, I was like, well, that's, that's not normal. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, most people get done with high school in four years. Uh, no, I did get done with high school in four years, but for five total years, from the ages of four, 14 to 18, I was the lead vocalist of a of actually a couple bands, and we toured. What kind of music? I'm really into music, dude. I play electric guitar. Post-hardcore is so like screaming and singing. So you were doing the screamer stuff, dude? Yeah, I did. Oh, man. I'll share offline the band with you. I, I don't want to scare any of your, uh, <laughs> your listeners off. Okay. But yeah, so I did that. And like looking back on that, the creativeness of writing a song and being able to like go and, and tour and meet new people and just be in a different city every night and just have those conversations with people. As soon as you get done with tour, you got to write a new CD right? Like it's, that's the next thing. And so for me, like looking back on it, that was such a good experience for me to now be walking into companies that don't have anything in place because it's just a new CD. Like now we just got to write a couple more songs and then it's scalable. And then we bring it out to the world. And when we're done with that, we, we go to the next and we build another CD and yeah. And so looking back on it, that's been, that was a major part of my life that has really got me here to where I am today. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting because, you know, like I said, I, I play electric guitar. I used to, I'm not, we never toured, but I was in a band. We play like bars and stuff like that. Right. And in high school we played at the talent shows and all that fun stuff. But my wife, Sarah, doesn't really come from a musical background. So it's been kind of interesting explaining to her like in the last year or so, like, Hey, you hear in the song, how it follows like kind of a pattern, right? There's like four beats in this measure, like the, versus like these four or sometimes now with music it's like two notes right yeah. basically like two two chord patterns and you notice how it goes like verse course verse course and maybe there might be a bridge and there's kind of like a formula to it it's like oh wow you know like there is actually some method to the madness it's not like people just thinking like oh let's write some words down some music and it just comes together magically but how did you find that for because there is kind of like if you want to be a musician there's kind of like a playbook, I guess you could kind of follow, right? I need to come up with a CD. It needs to have a certain amount of songs. Like here's the song structure. That playbook is kind of hard to find when you're starting a sales process from scratch at a company. So how did you do that? Dude, were you reading books on it? Did you have some mentorship help on you? Did you just kind of get after and do it yourself? Like how did you, how did you get started with that? Yeah. So at the very beginning, it was a lot of Googling, like early on in my okay. game, right? You know what yeah, I mean? It was like, me too. You know, a lot of Google. <laughs> and then like, then you start to get into like courses. And then I was at seminars and, you know, webinars. I would say that over the course of my career, I probably spent close to $50,000 on courses, coaches, mentors, seminars. That's just been something for me that's been super helpful so early on, that's really what it was, right? It was like reading as many books as I could, figuring out. But one thing that I came, I guess, came up with from all of that money spent, all of that time spent, is that once you find something that works, the key is really to double down on it and keep going and really dig very as deep as you possibly can with that one motion that's working until it doesn't work. Right. And so that like early on, obviously it was just get as many books as possible, figure out what sales really is and figure out how we're going to do this. But I'll say now it's really become sort of plug and play, 
right? The industry is different. The persona is different. The, the, the actual, like the way that the selling motion might be different, but really, you know, I, I'm very, you know, I don't know if you know, Corey Bray, Hillman Sori. I know of him for sure. Yeah. Never met him though. Never talked to him. I have been triangle selling is their, is their method since 2018. And there, that's the method that I bring around with me. And we literally plug it and play and really just go in and plug it to wherever it needs to be. I'll give them a quick plug. If they just did come out with a book called Coach, Five Secrets of a Sales Coach, it's probably the best sales leadership book I've ever read. It's so tactical and it's actually in a narrative style. So it's like it follows this kid Arlo and his whole thing and you end up, if you've ever been a sales manager, like the first few chapters, you feel so like you are so connected to Arlo in it. Cause he's like missing his number and you're like, he's about to get fired. And you're like, Oh no, I've been there. <laughs> Sounds like Patrick Lencioni, like that style of book. Yes, exactly. So what did you learn? Like the first couple of times, like what were some of the, if you want to keep kind of going on some of the takeaways, like the first couple of times you did this before you came to your current company, Canny. What were like the big sort of structural things that you took away or big themes that you took away from doing it a couple of times? So I think probably the biggest thing is you really have to understand your customer. That's the biggest thing is I think a lot of times, when, especially when you're starting to build out emotion, the whole goal is to get to your learnings as quick as possible, right? Like we want to make sure that we get to like, hey, how do, how do our customers actually respond? What do they respond to? But before that even you really have to understand their day-to-day. You have to understand really what keeps them up at night, their struggles, the things that, you know, in their day-to-day are, that get them excited, right? And the, the whole premise of it is, you know, at the very beginning of everything, it was just like, get things done as quick as possible. Let's see if we get a yes. If we get a yes, let's all high five and take that meeting, right? Now, it's, you know, I, especially at Candy, I mean, I took the first month and a half I didn't take a demo. The first month and a half was having conversations with heads of product, having conversations with current customers, reaching out and just really, you know, understanding the industry and the role, right? What does a VP of product do? What does a head of product do? What does a product manager do? What does their day-to-day look like? And what are they struggling with? And then what you do is you tie that into what we do as a company, right? How do we help them get rid of that struggle. And for that first, you know, 45 days, I was in meetings all day. I was reading, I was watching, I was doing all of these things so that by the time that that first message hit an inbox, if the timing was right, that person was going, whoa, I am absolutely dealing with this pain and I should absolutely respond to this person. Let's dig in here to understand your customer because I, I work with a lot of companies that are like between 50 and like 500 employees and they're never now and then we'll work with a you know, bigger company that's you know, kind of been around the block for a little while. But you know what they all have in common, man? Even the very, like, company we're working with right now, I can't mention because we have an NDA, but it's like one of the most successful companies right now through the pandemic. Like one of the most successful companies you could possibly think of. And the way that they prospect is, here's what our product is. Here's the new thing I want to share with you. And it's nothing about like who the person is, their day-to-day, how it fixes a problem that they might have, how it fits into their priority, like none of that kind of stuff. 
you know, it's hard because people want help with the email. That's what they come to me for. They like, how do I make my email better? And where I always have to backtrack and say like, structurally, it looks pretty good actually. And you're talking about a challenge. It just is like a really surface level thing or that's non-existent at all. So we end up kind of going back to the drawing board again. And I'm curious, like, what did you even say to the customer to get them to like, even want to do an interview? Because that's a big fear. People are like, well, why would they want to meet with me? I feel like they're wasting their time. So how did you like even get meetings with them to like talk to them? And then kind of what sort of generically, like what kind of questions do you ask? And like, what were some of the things that you learned that were like, oh, aha, okay, this is something we might be able to use. Like, what, what did that look like? I think what's been great about Canny is they they just have such great relationships with their customers, right? I mean, we, they've built sort of this cult following where when you become a customer, I mean, the, the churn is so low. Like we've had anyone that's actually left Canny like apologizes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then eventually, you know, we've had people that just come back. So, you know, the first thing I did was, you know, I went to our co-founders and I was like, who do you know that would be open to a conversation? And what I did is I leaned on them to, you know, actually create those conversations or the cool part about it is both of our co-founders used to do this. They created this as something to solve their problem. And so that's, a, you know, being able to have conversations with people that have done that. So if it's a co-founder, if it's a manager, lean on them, you know, you can potentially lean on them first if you have this sort of fear of reaching out to a customer. But reaching out to a customer is being honest, being vulnerable. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm new here. All right. And that was what my email was. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm the new head of sales at Canny. I'm really trying to understand what your day-to-day is like and, and really why you went with Canny and really having those conversations. And I'd say probably eight out of 10 people are like, yeah, sure. Put 15 minutes on my calendar, put 30 minutes on my calendar. And that does obviously because we have good relationships. Sure. If you have like pissed off customers, they're probably not going to be the ones you want to reach out to. But yeah, go to your leadership, say, hey, who's who are some of our top customers, our top NPS customers, right? And then inside of that interview, it was plain and simple. It was like, hey, when you were looking at Canny, why did you start looking at Canny? Like, why were you looking for a tool like this? And they'll let you know, like, hey, these are these are the things that were that we were struggling with. These are the things that were going on in the day to day. And so I, you know, I'd say, hey, what is what has Canny helped you do? Now, like before you couldn't do something, now what is it that you can do because of Canny? And then even beyond that, I was like, you know, what is, like, walk me through your day. Wake, wake, let me wake up with you. Walk me through what a day looks like for you. And what's cool about this is when you have 10 to 15 to 20, you know, conversations, you start to see these patterns, right? If I'm talking to a head of product, that head of product's getting up at six, they're working out, right? They're having breakfast with their family, right? Now we're in, you know, pandemic world. So they're going out to their home office or whatever it may be. They're checking their emails at seven, right? At eight o'clock, they start meetings and they're in meetings all day, right? And they're doing these things here. I'm checking my email in between meetings. So really what that tells me is, oh, shoot, my emails have to be quick to the point and they have to be super relevant and they have to be talking specific to the pain. And you start to hear heads of products start to talk about specific pains, right? The number one thing that I heard from a head of product, literal word, word for word was our ideas are all over the place. Guess what's in my email copy now, right? I'm sure as a head of product, you're struggling with, you know, your ideas being all over the place, whatever it may be, right? And so you start to see these patterns and you start to understand their day to day. 
And the day-to-day, the reason I ask about day-to-day is because I need to know timing, right? I need to understand that like, if I send an email between 10 and two for most heads of product, they're not reading it, right? If I send an email at seven, they're just checking their email. If I send an email at 6 p.m., they're checking their email. Another thing that I found out is, well, heads of product, the reason they're not answering their phones is because they don't have time, right? Like they are literally in meetings. They're doing, they're in strategy meetings, they're in ops meetings, they're in business meetings. And then they go into their engineers, the developers, right? And so you start to understand not just like, oh, I know this head of product in a SaaS industry uses Google Sheets to prioritize their roadmap. That their you know, ideas are in email, they're in Slack channels, they're all over the place, they're using Google Forms. Those are problems, but we have to remember that they're getting the job done today, right? They're getting it done the best that they know how. And so I can't come in there and be like, oh yeah, this is going to be a great new tool for you because right now you suck. It's got to be coming around as you have to understand what is the deeper meaning behind, okay, we use Google spreadsheets. Our ideas are all, all over the place, but what does that mean, right? What's the deeper question beyond that? And so the question beyond that is, well, it seems like you're doing a good job today, right? Like, you know, we have companies like Drift on our platform, right? Drift is one of the fastest growing SaaS startups in the world, right? And so you sit there and you go, well, you're doing things well today. What changed? Like, what couldn't you do, right? Before you had something like this. And then you start to get into the nitty gritty where you can start to talk like ahead of product. And that's the biggest thing that I've found is when you're really growing a sales motion, especially outbound, where people are inundated all day with sales messages, marketing messages. If you come across as someone who knows exactly what they're going through, their day-to-day, and you talk like them, even if they're not interested, you're not getting someone saying like, I'm not interested, get out of my face, like unsubscribe, whatever it is. You're getting, hey man, appreciate the email. You know, right now, this is what we're doing. They'll give you insight into what they're doing that is a way for you to gather that information. So it's, it's a, a whole different world when you understand not just their pains and their problems, but you understand their day-to-day and you understand what excites them and the things that they need to get done. I love the, you know, why did you start using us? You know, what are we helping you with? What does the day-to-day? I think that's the really glossed over part of the customer interview. And I always like to ask too, it's like, hey, at any, in any given day, like what are the you know, top two to three things on your priority list, you know, throughout the week? Like what are those things? And, and, and it'd be different for people that, you know, use the product versus, and this is where I wanted to go with you next, is, well, one thing I thought you mentioned that was super good is like talk like your prospect. Like you need to be able to talk as if you are them. The emails and the calls sound totally different when you can talk like you're the prospect. What's the job title typically of the people or job titles of the people that you interact with? Our DMs are head of product or VP of product management. Okay. So do you talk to like a VP of product? Is the messaging any different from a head of product or is it kind of generically the same, same kind of angle? Same kind of angle. It, it really just depends on the company org structure at that point. Got it. And is there any other people that you talk to at the company that are maybe a little bit more like below the line? Like if let's say that you talk to someone, you can't get a hold of the VP of product. Like how, how do you know who to go to next? And does the language change with those conversations versus like the VP type folks? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously you have like your heads and your VPs are, are more strategically aligned, right? They may not necessarily be doing day-to-day type stuff, 
they're more concerned about, hey, is our product roadmap actually where it needs to be? And does it align strategically with where the company and the business goals are? Below that, right, you may talk to a director or a product manager, right? Directors are sort of right in the middle with their with the messaging where you want to get tactical with them, you know, or you may also talk strategy with them. But when you're talking to a product manager, really the specificity around that is I'm talking day-to-day tactics, right? I'm talking about what that meeting looks like with your dev and your engineering team and how it, you know, when you guys get into your weekly sprint meeting, you know, how are you grooming your backlog right now? Like, how are you bringing that data together? Like, how are you aggregating it? How are you analyzing it? And even there, a lot of product managers are having one-on-one conversations with customers, right? They want to understand that. And so even beyond that, I'm asking about conversations with customers and I'm talking about conversations at scale with customers, right? Where you have everything in one single thread and you can talk to 20 customers at one time, right? And so that's where you start to get tactical. But yeah, the whole goal is you should know from product manager all the way up to CPO, right? Chief product officer, what their day-to-day looks like. Because yeah, you know, a, a CPO is, is very hard to get a hold of, Right. A product manager, not easy to get a hold of, but might be easier. And they might champion this because they're the ones that are actually dealing with most of the issues that we solve. I think that's such an important distinction that you made is where the, the messaging does need to be different, you know, for by, by seniority level. You know, if those people are working on different day-to-day stuff. And my guess is this takes a lot of work on your part, right? You probably had to talk to 15 or 20 people above the line, 15 or 20 you know, people below the line and like you're constantly, and that takes like a shit ton of time, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that people are kind of looking for those quick fixes with their emails and stuff. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. It doesn't stop either. Right. Or it should stop. Right. I'm still having these conversations with them, still having conversations with customers when they, you know, purchase and, and even having those conversations during demos, right? Like, really understanding their pain, really understanding what they're dealing with. Because at a high level, everyone kind of deals with the same things. But the whole goal is like, this should never stop because that one time that you hear something off the wall, that may not really be as off the wall as you think it is because you start to have these conversations and then people start, you start to say, hey, typically when I'm talking to product managers, they're telling me X. And you start to have product managers being like, yes, how did you know? then you want to be bringing that more into your messaging as well. So even though the first 45 days was specific to that, didn't send out a message, I'm still consistently having these conversations. And even when people are, you know, on cold calls, right? I mean, one of the questions I ask on on a cold call is, how's that working for you, right? Like, how, how is what you're doing today working for you? Because I want them to tell me like, okay, well, this is happening or that's happening, because again, if someone tells me something that I'm, I'm hearing, I start to put patterns together. And the way that business works today is everything changes so quickly, right? And so a pattern that may have been happening three months ago might, might no longer be happening. And you really want to have your finger on that pulse. I definitely want to circle back to you on the cold calling and the messaging portion. Is there anything else? Like, So you highlighted another thing. So I had this little exercise I run clients through and it's like how to empathize more with your prospects. It's like a quadrant, essentially. So like it's on the high end of the quadrants, it's like you have things that are really high value activities to do that you get a lot of great information from and then lower value stuff. And then on the X axis, it's like things that are really, you know, high effort. You know, you got to put a ton of time in versus low effort. And in that high effort, high value customer interviews is there. It's like the most useful thing you can do, but it takes a lot of time. 
And then the you know lower effort, high value stuff I find is like your sales calls. You're already doing this. Like I find that people don't take good notes when a prospect, because I'll, depending on the engagement with a customer, I'll typically want to interview their customers so I can get a better idea of what they're saying and get some nuggets. But usually they are using Gong or Chorus or Wingman or something like that. And I'll listen to the discovery calls and I'm like, oh my God, like, are you guys, how come you aren't using this? Like people on the discovery calls and the demos, they're sharing their exact pain point with you there. So you mentioned something I think that's super low hanging fruit. Is there any other kind of like tips or tricks or anything else you have around like really understanding your customers or anything else that you did that you found helpful besides interviewing and just kind of paying closer attention to your sales calls, anything else? I don't necessarily think there is anything that's deeper than that, right? Like it's, it's, that's the, that is the real low hanging fruit there. And it's the stuff that if you put the time and effort into, you will, your, your career will explode because you'll have, you'll have people having conversations. I think, you know, I, I, I tell this to my sales, like when I, when I've had teams under me, is like, I think probably one of the best like things that you can get, like one of the best, I guess, what's the word? I'm not saying accolades, but like one of the best things that can happen to you as a salesperson is the person on the other end of the phone during a demo offer you a job, right? And, you know, that right there only happens when they feel connected to you in a way that I think most people don't get to that depth. And so if you can get to that depth of really understanding what that person goes through, really understanding where they're at. You know, you talked about like, what are the top two priorities on a day-to-day basis that you're dealing with? And being able to speak directly to those, you're going to be light years ahead of everyone else that's just kind of spraying and praying. Yeah, you got to prioritize this as a rep even. And I find that the other thing too, and what I think is so cool about the way that you guys are doing is that like you're building out the sales process. And when you do build out a big team, you've already vetted this stuff yourself. Like a lot of times I come in in companies, the people writing the message are not like they've never even talked to a customer before and they're writing emails for their team. I'm like, dude, <laughs> come on, <laughs> you know, geez. <laughs> There's this other step that it sounds like you do a really good job of that I see missing too. It's like, once I understand the customer, like how do I kind of connect that with how I can help? Cause it's not exactly like you have this problem. I'd love to talk to you about how cool our solution is. Let's chat and do a demo. Like there's, there's some finessing of the messaging. It sounds like that you do to connect. Like, so how do you think about how you connect canny to the problem? What were some of the stuff you've been working on that you figured out in the last couple of months with that? It's actually a, a framework. And basically the way that I do it, it's just an Excel spreadsheet, right? And it's feature pain benefit persona. And so really what I'll write out with that is, okay, here's a feature. What is the pain that it's attached to that it solves for? And then what is that benefit that that individual persona actually achieves with that, right? And so, you know, for instance, you have, you know, a feature of us, right? We have, I'll just say canny boards, right? Be super high level, right? The feature is the canny boards. No one cares about the canny boards, what they care about is the fact that they're right now as the PM, I have five different spreadsheets that I have to go to. And when I get to that spreadsheet, I have no data around any of those requests. A, a CS, you know, customer success person just put something in here. A salesperson did. I put something in here, but there's no real data, no conversation, no backlog of like why this request is here. And they may have some like, impact and effort scores on there. 
but it's just like, oh, we've heard this a couple of times. This should probably be at the top. And so really with that, so I have my feature is the board. My pain is everything is all over the place with no real data to back it up. Right. And then from there, what's the benefit of having that feature as opposed to your five spreadsheets? Right. And then that benefit is having your data aggregated in one place gives you the ability to have an, a thread of conversation in one place. It allows you to crowdsource your ideas and it allows you to prioritize your roadmap far more efficiently with data as opposed to, you know, loudest stakeholder gut feeling. And then, you know, persona obviously tying that into like a product manager, right? And so with that, I literally spent the time going through each and every feature and each and every persona that that feature would have an effect on, right? And then from there, that literally gives you your messaging to how you talk and how you demo. So when you hear someone say, oh, I'm in five spreadsheets, I know now, or any of the salespeople will know, oh, that goes to candy boards, right? And then you can dig in deep with the actual benefit as opposed to going, oh yeah, we need to go candy boards. When I talk to them about the candy boards, I'm only going to discuss the benefit per that actual persona. So you're basically building like a library of like all of this content and that becomes part of like what you're adjusting based on new input that you get around the pain, et cetera. This is cool because that, that sort of answers the connection piece for you. Because I think that people, like when you're prospecting, if you get really specific with the pain and you're super generic with like the way that you can help around it, like that's not great either. No, yeah. When it comes to the messaging piece, how do you get this into like your emails in sequence? You know, cause like a, a lot of people will try to put everything in the first email, right? And the concern there that I hear, so it's funny, we're kind of talking, like I'm talking from the perspective of the people that I help. So we're kind of actually doing this. Let's kind of meta in the call. Cause the thing that I hear a lot is that if I don't put everything in this first email, what if I miss, what if I talk about the wrong problem in that first email and then they say not interested? You know, so like, how do you approach like the messaging across like your sequence? My whole goal with my email sequence is I break my emails up, right? So as opposed to more like three paragraph emails, they're more like three sentence emails. And basically the way that it'll work is, okay, I know a head of product has these top three issues. I'm going to break that up into three different emails. And the real premise of that is, again, it comes back to the time, right? I know these heads of product don't have a ton of time. I know that I need to be speaking like I'm texting my mom, right? Hey, mom. And that's really where it goes is the thing is that if there's a fear around saying the wrong problem, then I would say you probably don't know the problems as well as you may think you know, because there really are a few key problems that someone has and maybe they don't have that problem today, but they know that they've had it or they know that as they scale, they're going to have it. And so you keep things very short, very brief. And it's just like, you know, hey, been having a ton of chats with other heads of product, hearing a lot of frustration around the fact that their ideas are all over the place, spreadsheets, emails, you know, Slack channels. And then what I'll do is I'll throw in social proof immediately right? Hey, these two companies used us to centralize all their feedback and they got rid of all of that, you know, up for a Zoom, something like that. And so basically with that, I'm getting very high level, but also very granular with the problem and what the actual benefit is of that problem. And if they say not interested, cool. I think I would much rather 
be very granular with my emails than send something that they didn't read and they say not in, right? So yeah, that's pretty much like my whole goal is anything that I look at and it's like, it can be three paragraphs, that's going to be three separate emails. Yeah, it's interesting because the fear is, it's kind of very irrational when you think of it because the fear of I put everything in this email and they could respond not interested is operating under the assumption that people are actually going to respond to your emails. And like statistically, <laughs> like, dude, you got a 10% response rate. You're doing like decent, you know, yeah. and the best people at this are going to have 20, 30% response rates, like the very best of the best that do pretty low volume in my experience, you know? So statistically 90 plus percent of people aren't going to respond anyway. So they're going to see the next stuff coming, you know? Okay, so you break it apart and like, can you kind of walk us through like the, the sequencing structure? Like what does the cadence actually look like? What's the number of emails, calls? Like how do you, how do you kind of work all that stuff in? This may be taken weird by some of your, your listeners, but I do things really differently. I bought into combo prospecting really early on in my career. So I always start all of my sequences out with call, voicemail, email within 90 seconds, right? And that email is based on the the voicemail that I left, right? It's typically, you know, what I just said, right? Hey, been talking to a bunch, you know, I'll say per my voicemail so they can tie that back. Hey, typically when I'm talking to this individual, these are the frustrations they have. Here's, you know, social proof fixed those issues. And now they have this benefit. Would it make sense to chat, right? Super quick, dirty to the point. The very next day, I just hit them with a bump. Thoughts? worth a chat, right? Because what you just said is so exactly right. Most people are so busy that they may have seen your email. They may have opened it. They may have even wanted to reply to it. But guess what? Life happens, right? I may have opened your email at 745 today and at eight, eight o'clock, all hell broke loose. And I forgot about you. And it's not that I didn't care about you. It's that I just forgot right? You weren't one of my top two priorities for that day. And my top two priorities were on fire today. So I'll get to that when I can. So the next day I'm hitting them 24 hours later with a thoughts, with a, you know, worth a chat. And I'll tell you this, I'm booking most of my meetings on that bump. I see the same exact thing, dude. This any thoughts is the one that I always talk about a lot. Any thoughts, question mark. And that's it. That's, that's the entire email. Okay, so I want to backtrack a little bit. So there's a, a few things that I think are really important that you mentioned, because again, the thing I hear is, well, dude, I got a vo- voicemail, email, I'm sending another, is it three emails in one week or two emails in a week? Two, what do I say? And it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, with that call, the general message, if you got someone on live, would be very similar to what that email said. Here's what I'm seeing, here's the problem that I hear, and here's how companies like yours are solving for it. In the voicemail, it sounds like follows that same sort of thing. And, and then in the voicemail, do you direct them to the to check out the email that you're about to send? Do you say that too? Yeah, I'll say, hey, you know, I'm going to follow up with a quick note via email. Yeah. So you're doing that other thing. You're pointing the voicemail to the email. So it's actually, you're creating what will feel like a multi-channel experience for the prospect too. Because we always talk about multi-channel, omni-channel prospecting, but that doesn't fucking matter if it doesn't feel like that to the prospect. You send an email on a Tuesday and then you give them a call on a Thursday. If that's a really busy person, how do they know that that's connected with to the same person? You know, you're not connecting those channels together for them. And then the follow-up email on day two is, I mean, that's like, so content wise, we're not really actually talking about a lot of content. It's the quality of that content's really good. The message is great. And you're like repurposing that across phone, voicemail, email. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So day two is just thoughts. And I'll I'll probably blow your prospect or your listeners' minds right now. Day three, I hit them with an email. It's a it's a bump to that next email. And that is all social proof, right? So it may be company X saw this return. The end. Right. I've been doing a lot of visuals in my email now too. A B testing visual versus that. And we checked out Justin Michael in his yeah. Uh, stuff. Yeah. Okay. It's been brilliant, right? So I know Justin does Vens, and I tried Vens for a while. I just wasn't getting a ton of that, like push on that. And so what I started doing was like a picture of before and after, right? Like here's your spreadsheet today. This is what it could look like, and it's in that same thread. So when they open that email, they're like, okay, they see this. They're like, wow, I do have that pretty awful looking spreadsheet right now. It would be nice if it looked like that. And then they go back up and they see my initial email. And they're like, oh, I am having those problems. Yeah, let's book a meeting. And that's all in literally three days. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they hear from me. And then from there, if I haven't heard back from them, I'll hit them on LinkedIn, right? And I'll hit them with a video on day four. Hey, and, and it's, it's the same sort of messaging, right? It's a, it's a video. And I'll say that I hit most of my meetings on day two with that thoughts. My second best reply rate is on that video for LinkedIn. They put the face of the name. It's in a, a different kind of arena. I'm not selling them anything. It's just a video. Hey, these are the things that I'm hearing. Wondering if you'd be open to a chat around your you know, customer feedback process as it pertains to your strategy right now. And is that it? If you don't hear back through LinkedIn, you stop, you go to with that prospect? No. So I'll hit them. So after those four days, I'll wait between two and three days. And then I start that cycle all over again with a different pain point. Right. And so I hit them with another one of the, because like I said, not everyone has just one pain point. So I'll hit them with a different pain point and I'll hit them with a combo phone, email, or call voicemail, email, another bump. That bump usually isn't just thoughts. It usually does have some sustenance on the second go round, but the sustenance is all relevant customer stories or social proof. And it's really relevant to that specific pain point. And then on that third one, again, it's usually a visual, right? Like it's usually something that is, you know, I'll take a screenshot of a G2 review, or I'll take a screenshot of, you know, we have a customer that actually got a five-star review on their G2 because of canning, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like imagine if you got replies because of a third party, you got five-star reviews on your product because of a third-party vendor, right? And so again, and then I do that sequence just one more time. So it's just three triples with two days in between each one. And then from there, if I never hear back from them, they're going to be on a nurture campaign. I usually, what I'll do is every, every month until they, you know, unsubscribe, I'll hit them with some value, right? And just hit them with like, hey, here are the things that are going on in the industry. Do you see this new conference? Do you see this new webinar? And, you know, basically what it will be is in those emails, it'll be like three takeaways from it. Hey, if you don't want to watch this video, here's the three takeaways I got from it. And that can be repurposed, I'm assuming, probably for everyone that you reach out to. You could probably generically get that same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, this is something very similar to what we recommend sequencing-wise. Yours is pretty aggressive, which, which I actually like. You kind of buy yourself and give yourself permission to be aggressive if what you're sharing is good. Absolutely. Right? Like, I've had people that have responded to my... And, the, and it's been, you know, not book a meeting, but they'll literally say like, dude, respect the hustle. Like it, it, there's been, I'll say that out of the thousands 
uh, not thousands, but a couple hundred replies that I've gotten, I would say that very few, I would say less than 10% have been unsubscribed or just random, not interested or take me off your list. I do not hear that a lot. And it's because I'm highly relevant. And even though I'm like in their inbox every day, I'm in their inbox every day with something that they're going through and a solution to their problem. And if they're open to that and the timing's right, obviously timing's huge in sales, right? If the timing's right, they're not saying no. They're saying, yeah, totally open for a conversation. And in that same email, when they're saying, yeah, book some time on my calendar, they're giving me all the, the pains that they're going through. Yeah, we're dealing with this, 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 and this. We should absolutely talk. And that, that hey, we're dealing with this, 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 and this, then goes into that living document, right? Oh, I found another pain point. Dude, love it, man. So I think that there are, what? So it looks like six touches over the course of a week when we combine everything together times three. So about 18 touches you know, before you kind of lay off. And I will say that I do, I will, if anyone opens my email three times, they get a call, right? If I don't have like a direct dial for them, they'll get a LinkedIn, right? So there are like little nuances in there of, hey, if, if they're engaging pretty highly with my stuff, that's why I love Drift Video is because you can see and you can see if they forwarded the video off, like someone in Toronto watched this and then someone in Massachusetts watched this and someone in New York, right? And so you can start to see that. And if they're engaging like that, they're absolutely getting a call or they're getting a, a video on LinkedIn. Gotcha. A couple other just kind of more tactical questions with your sequence, the week one emails, are those all in the same email chain? And then week two, do you start a different email chain with the next problem? Or do you keep it on the same one? Like, how do you do it? Yeah. So each triple is a different email chain. Got it. I think that's an important element actually, so that they don't see like, you know, 12 emails from you. And it's really easy to like, you know, when you get an email that has a little number 12 next to it, you're like, you're just going to keep. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Like, yeah, it, it's three emails, right? Like, <laughs> you know, we're not doing 12 emails. Any insights around subject lines? How do you approach uh, subject lines? How do you think about it? Any framework there that you can share? Quick and dirty. So you put the words quick and dirty in the set? No. <laughs> I, I may be testing that now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> People say that Canny helps them be quick and dirty with their product. Like I'd have to tie it in somewhere that way. The one that performs best for me on the first three is just feedback. Just the word feedback. Just the word feedback. Is it all lowercase or do you capitalize the first letter? It's all lowercase. <laughs> yeah. I think it's another little important thing, like the capitalization and like all this other stuff. So feedback, interesting. And then what will you do for the next one? for the next set of emails? Yeah, so usually the next pain point that most of them deal with. So the first one is gathering feedback. The second one is usually around prioritization and making best, you know, next best product decisions. And so I've A-B tested next best product decision. That one worked pretty well. I got like close to a 70% open on that one. It was like 13% reply. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. But the one that crushed, right now I'm getting 85% open, I'm getting a 14% reply on this one, is just building the right tools, question mark. Interesting. So you're asking kind of like provocative questions like related to the problem that people have. So it's a very problem-oriented, except for that first one. Yeah, I mean, dude, if you're getting 70, 80% open, it's pretty freaking good. Where I would like really push people is like, you know, you need to be 40, 50% like at a minimum. Otherwise you need to be A-B testing the shit out of your subject line still. 
And like, I, I see a lot of people that are so used to getting 10% opens that they celebrate 30%. I'm like, well, you should get to that 60, 70% mark. It's really not that hard as long as you're testing stuff. So yeah, that's, that's killer, dude. 80% response. All right. 80% open rate, 15% reply rate. That's, that's a, that's a solid outbound sequence right there, man. That's one of those things that my goal for everything is 80% open minimum. And my goal is to get to 20 to 30% reply. Right now on the entire sequence, we're sitting around 15.6 as of this morning, reply rate. So there's still room. And so all of those emails have ABs in them, right? So half the people are getting one thing, half are getting the next. And then usually once I hit between 250 and 300 emails to each, that's when I'll say, okay, there's a winner. There's a clear winner here. I do this exercise with companies where I help the individual reps plan out their activity level. Because a lot of them don't even know how much activity they need in a week to hit like their quota for the month. And it's kind of a demoralizing exercise for a lot of people, dude, because they have them plug in their percentages. You know, what, what do you want to close on a multi basis? You know, how many deals do we need? How many ops is that? How many fit calls or intro calls is that? What percentage of your prospects convert into a meeting? And they start to get that number, and the number's like, you know, less than 5% of the people they reach out to turn into a meeting. And they get this number that's like kind of crazy. Like they need to reach out to three or 400 people a week. And it's like, geez, you know, versus having a 15% reply rate, you know, 10 to 12% positive or whatever. It's like now all of a sudden it like cuts the number of people you need to reach out to like in half, you know, and you can like really focus on that. So dude, this has been really great, man. Is there anything like any last little nuggets that we missed when you look at like the last three or four months of doing this? Like, is there anything looking back that you would like, anything you'd give yourself advice on, you know, four months ago, like looking back, knowing what you know now? Yeah, I think for me, I did get a little bit tech happy. Right? Uh, yeah, it's hard not to dude. There's so much cool technology out there. <laughs> you know, I think for me, it was like, all right, how do I get something that does everything? Right. And I think if you can really, you know, we, we use Apollo, we use Salesforce, right? I use phone burner for the dialer right? And realistically, that's all we use, right? I love it, dude. And, you know, at the beginning, I was looking for like, oh, how do I get, you know, all these different things, right? I don't think it necessarily took my energy away from some of the outbound stuff, but I think that it can. If you start to like, because here's the thing, phone burner, amazing tool, would recommend it to anyone. Same with Apollo. Obviously, everyone knows Salesforce, right? But like those two, actual tools, they help me, but they don't help me close more deals. They don't help me be more relevant. They don't help me really be better at my job. They help me scale, right? I'm one person. I have right now we're at 15 to 20 demos a week, right? And so if I'm looking at that, like across the board, I have maybe two to three hours a day to really get hard prospecting in. And so those are really helping with efficiency. Like my whole goal right now is protecting my time. And so it's like, don't get so tech happy because the tech is great, but it's not going to help you if you have a terrible message, if you don't understand your prospects. And if you really don't, you know, actually get, you know, understand where they're coming from on a deeper level than just like, oh, they're ahead of product. They must be dealing with this. And so I think early on, I would say like the first couple of weeks, I was like, I was taking demos with every company, right? Like I was like, oh yeah, we definitely need this and we need this and we need this. And I would say, hey, just honestly, find three things that are going to protect your time 
instead of taking, you know, 15 demos. I should have probably just gone to like people like you or any of like the people I'm close with and said like, hey, what are you guys using? And just gone with them, right? Instead of taking the time to, to sit on multiple demos that really didn't turn into anything. Uh, dude, that's such a great insight. And, and if you would ask me, I definitely would have recommended Apollo. And I'm like, I get it doesn't have quite everything that maybe Outreach or Sales Loft has, but like, dude, it's got like 80, 90% of it. It's way easier to set up. It works with Salesforce still, like, and you got all your data in one place. If I was talking to any early stage company, you, you have to go Apollo. Like, I really think that truly. And I've used Outreach and Sales Loft and have nothing but good things to say about them. But for an early stage, yo, like we're really, we're really starting to churn and burn. They're, they're absolutely the place where your, your reps are going to save the most time. Yeah, we just cut like a testimonial like promo for Apollo just now, man. <laughs> dude, I really appreciate you coming on though, man. I learned a lot from this. I love the, dude, I love how much you spend like understanding your customer. That's like kind of my big takeaway. I got some little nuggets there, but before you take off, where's the best place for people to connect with you? You got a podcast, you post content on LinkedIn. Like what's the best way to check out your stuff, man, if people want some more? Yeah, for sure. So LinkedIn, it's just Ned Eric, A-R-I-C-K. If you're not following me, I do also have a podcast called Bootstrap Growth. I have been super slacking on it like the last 45 days just because I've been like mad busy with Canny. But I promise that within the next like... Actually, I promised people tomorrow. So I have to record an episode tonight. And so I'll have a new episode tomorrow morning. <laughs> Here you go, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am, right? Like, so yeah, those are probably the best two best places. Obviously, you can look me up online and you know you can get all my other social, but... All you're going to find on my Instagram is pictures of my baby and Twitter I'd never even use. So That was a super fun interview. This is, this is really simple, but the biggest thing that I took away was, well, there's two things actually. One, he mentioned double down on what's working. So if there's something you're doing that works, figure out how you can double, tri- triple, quadruple down on it and just like do it more. And then the next thing that he talked about is and I talk about this quite a bit too, is like you need to be able to talk as if you are the prospect. That's such a huge, huge thing. So like think about, do I have enough empathy for the people I'm reaching out to that I can talk from their perspective, what their problems are, how they feel, how they go about their day, et cetera. And if you can't do that, spend some more time getting to know who your customers are. So this, this was a super fun one. Hope you got a ton of value from it. And again, one favor I have for you before you take off is, is there one person that you could share this with? You can literally share it from the app. You can share it from blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes. You could use that link and send it over, or you can share this episode, whatever you want to do. If you got value from this, it would really mean a lot to me if you shared it with one other person that you think would get value from it as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.